Thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And today we are going to be discussing the differences between Roman Catholicism and modern-day Protestant Christianity. You don't want to miss this. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hi, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We are your hosts here today, Tyler, here with Robbie Lashua. Hi, welcome back. We're glad that you're here for our new series on Roman Catholicism. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we're, we're excited. Learn a lot of things, hopefully. It's great. Yeah. yeah, we've been getting a lot of requests for this topic. Um, it's just something that uh, we think that as Christians, we should be aware of different ideas culturally w- with the church and um, different denominational beliefs. And mm-hmm. uh, Catholicism c- keeps coming up a lot because... Um, clearly, there's a lot of differences there, and I think even uh, people that aren't as well educated uh, could at least see all like that. There's quite a bit of a difference between yeah, there is. what we do, and so uh, and that's theological too, not just outward appearances. There's a yeah. lot. So. And have, yeah, and we have so many here at the church. There's so many people mm-hmm. who are ex-Catholics, and um, then there's a ton of people who have Catholic friends and neighbors. I have Catholic friends. I'm yeah, sure I do too. You have Catholic friends, and so we do need to understand what's different uh, about what we believe uh, from what they believe, and so we want to get into that uh, today. Uh, and we're going to start a series, and we'll probably I don't know, we'll probably do like four or five weeks on this. We've got yeah, a lot probably. of topics that we want to cover, um, so we're really excited that you're here. But before we get into that, Christ Culture and Coffee, coffee tip. Are you ready That's for the right. coffee tip? All right, here we go. <laughs> I hope you just screamed, yes, I'm ready. I was going to say, even if they're ready, unfortunately, it's they can't happening. Tell us. Unless they're like so fast-forwarding, 30-second just... fast-forward, 30-second <laughs> yeah, right. fast-forward, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who knows? All right, anyway, <laughs> the coffee tip for today is about acidity. Acidity. Acidity, yeah, because there's acid in coffees. There's actually about 30 different distinct acids present in one cup of coffee. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it is oh. interesting. And so uh, okay. when I, whenever you hear the term acid, it's usually like a negative, right? Yeah, right, Like uh, right. the Joker fell into a vat of acid, and that's what turned <laughs> him into a villain in the Batman yeah. stories, right? Um, acid isn't a bad thing in coffee. Um, it's, right. It, yeah. it, it makes it makes coffee taste a certain way, and it and it gives you certain sensations in your mouth. And so, the tip for today would be to try to distinguish what type of acids in coffee you like the best. Okay. So here's yeah. how you do it: get something that's really acidic, like a lemon or a, or a lime or an orange, even something sure. like that, and um, taste it. And as you taste the lemon juice, uh, try to be conscious of the sensations your mouth is having. Not okay. just sour, but be aware of the feel, all right? right what is yeah. it, your tongue feeling like? What's your mouth feeling like? What is it? And then when you're drinking a cup of coffee, do the same thing. Okay. And say, okay, what are the acidic uh, sensations that I'm having? And so it's, it is different from person to person and obviously from different cup of coffee to different cup of coffee because sure. there's more or less of certain acids. But what you, um, I think, will feel is... Um, when there's a lot of acid present, you know, um, you, you'll get a different sensation. And then there's some really – I had this uh, Nicaraguan coffee that had mm. like zero acid in it. It was like drinking water. It was crazy how no acid was present. Um, but um, you'll get like a – I get a, like a sensation on the tip of my tongue. Right. Do you right. know like a tingling? Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and that, that's acidity, Yeah, there's right? a little bit of acidity in this. Yeah. yeah, and even when like you drink orange juice or something like – or even like cranberry juice or something right, like yeah. that, you get a little tingle. But also sometimes you'll feel this um, 
it's like a mouth-watering sensation on the walls of your cheeks. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're like talking it's just, about. That's that's an acidity thing. Okay, and interesting. And so those those aren't bad yeah. sensations, right? They're kind of cool. They make the the they they add nuance to the cup of coffee. So it's not just about the flavor, but it's also about the feel. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So acidity in coffee, I would wow, suggest you try to be conscious about it and see what kind of um, acids you like being present more or less. What kind of uh, blends or roasts or brands of coffee you like more yeah, than others? Yeah, that's great. Because uh, acidity might be a, a really important part of that. I think I'll give that a shot. I've never tried that before. A shot that's of espresso. <laughs> oh, there a it is. Shot. Yeah. Good one. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Good. Well, that's your coffee tip for today. Try and see what kind of acid uh, you like. Yeah. Thanks for that. Because. I learned something new today, too. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Acidity and coffee. It's great. (laughs) Hey, so let's get into the topic today. Before we do this, I do want to say a couple of important things. Mm. Um, When when talking about the Roman Catholic Church, it is a difficult task because there's so much we do agree on together. Yes, that's true. They believe in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They believe in the historical, the same historical Jesus we believe in. Yes. They believe he's the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. They believe a lot of the creeds we hold, they hold. But there are differences yes. between what Protestant theology believes and what Roman Catholic theology believes. And obviously that's what that's what prompted the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Was yeah. what salvation was and how you get it, right? That's so right. So I, I want to explain something to our, our viewers and to our listeners uh, that I think is really important. Um, so often you'll hear people make this claim uh, that, you know, all religions are so similar. Mm. Um, you know, who's to say what's wrong or right? They're, they're all basically the same thing, right? And when you get to, to Christianity and Roman Catholicism, they're really similar. Oh, right? yeah. Right. But this analogy helps me to remember what's important. Um, imagine that you have two white pills, all right, okay. and they're identical. They look exactly the same, same color, same shape, same size, and they both have an A stamped onto the top of them, okay? Identical. They are similar in so many different ways, right? They feel the same. They look the same size, color. The A is the same, everything, same font in the A, everything, okay? Identical. But... If I identify one of them as being aspirin Mm -hmm. and the other one as being arsenic, it doesn't matter how similar they are anymore. All that matters is the difference. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) One can help you with a headache. One will kill you. So they're not the same thing. Yeah, and people a lot of times do this with religion. Oh, they all look similar. You know, they all have their holy men and their holy places and their holy texts and their rules. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, but it's really the differences that matter. Yeah, it's that's really right. only the differences that matter. Yeah, yeah, right. It is. And so when it comes to when it comes to Catholicism and um, Protestant Christianity, we want to focus on the differences, not the similarities, um, because this is. Uh, uh, again, we're not. We don't have a year to go through church history and show mm. every little faction and all the councils, and we don't have oh, right, all the yeah. time in the world to do that. But we want to give you. Here are the big differences between Protestant Christianity and Roman Catholicism, and so that's what this mm. is about. Because the differences are what matters. Again, 
so many similarities. And we're going to even get into on future episodes, what do we think about people in the Catholic Church? Can they be saved? Are they going to yes, heaven when they die? Yes, we will be covering that. We're going to talk about all those yeah. things. But we want to make sure that you understand this is about the distinctions, uh, not about what's similar. Because we could talk about similarities all day. Oh, yeah. that's And that, that's the thing. That's why a lot of people, uh, they see this, and it's like uh, some people have a hard time understanding that, uh, like that, key difference because Catholics, uh, the Catholic church is so similar to regular modern day Christianity because it like, there's more than every other religion because we're right about the, like, like they're together on the Trinity yeah. and the son, who the person, who Jesus, Jesus is, is, deity yeah. of Christ, the deity of, of Christ. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so that's why it's like, this is a big deal to cover the distinctions and why there is a difference. Yep. So otherwise, why wouldn't be we all be following along in the same exact ordinances? Yeah, and, and like, there's a lot of difference, yeah. right? There's a lot of difference. So that's what we want to get into. So for today's episode, we're going to just go for it, and we're going to talk about the Pope. Yeah. That's a huge <laughs> difference between what Catholics believe and what Protestants believe. Who's the Pope? Where did this idea of, of the papacy come from? How does he become the head of the church? What, what sources are they using? What authority are they using? And why do they believe he is who they say he is? Yeah. So that's what we'll get into right now, Tyler. Right now. Right now. Happening. This very minute. <laughs> all right. So doctrinally, and again, we, we can't get into all the history, and there's so much there. If you want to study this in depth, I would check into church history. Mm. Um, in a nutshell, here's what went on. Um, there were a whole bunch of churches popping up all over the known world mm -hmm. after the New Testament time. In each church, there were elders, leaders, bishops, right? And then over each town, as different church de churches developed, they kind of would look to one central leader in the town as like the, the elder elder, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the head bishop kind of idea. Well, as that continued to happen, then there were bishops in different big cities and people started to think, hey, maybe we should have one bishop who's over all the bishops of all the cities in all the world. Yeah. And there was a big fight <laughs> that happened <laughs> because the Alexandrian bishop thought he was the best, and his people thought he was. And then the Roman mm. bishop thought he was and should be. And um, again, church history is all about this faction. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of arguments between who's over who. Then some of them were making decisions about adding phrases to creeds and others weren't. And it was this whole mess. Anyway, there was a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of anger from the Alexandrian and from the Roman church. Mm -hmm. And then in 1054, those two factions split. And it's the first big church split we've ever had in history. The Alexandrian church became the Greek Orthodox church. Mm -hmm. And the Roman faction became the Roman Catholic Church. So that's just that's that's how it went yes. in, a, in a nutshell. Um, but it was over who has the power, who's yeah, the head right. head guy. And so this idea of being a pope is is really an important uh, issue for us to dive into and to know why as Protestants we don't have somebody that's oh, the yeah. head of all. That's right. Yeah. We, I mean, it's that's quite a big difference to tackle, especially mm -hmm. for the first thing that we're going to be talking about. So. Yeah, it is. Well, we figured we'd just go for it, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Go uh, straight in. Doctrinally, one, one important thing about uh, what Catholics believe, um, Catholics believe that the Pope is the successor of St. Peter, that Peter was the head of all the apostles, and he was given a specific mandate to be the head of all the apostles and to have rulership over them. Mm. Um so they believe that the Pope, as the Bishop of Rome, has this supreme power and jurisdiction over 
the universal church, over the entire church, in matters, now this is important, in matters of faith and morals, as well as church discipline and government. Yeah, that's right. So this is called um, the papal infallibility, the infallibility of the Pope. And it's a doctrine that the Pope, when he's acting as the supreme teacher uh, and under certain conditions, he can't err. Yes, uh, his word is above scripture even, because what can happen here is anything that the Pope says is like a commentary on his interpretation mm-hmm. of what scripture is saying, that that is supreme, and it's like, okay, like yes. he, he had—the Pope basically has the final authority when he's talking on morals and faith. Yeah, faith and yeah. morals, So, and that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. So he's infallible when he's speaking in faith and morals, and they would say it's because— God gave this position to Peter, yes. and then there's been a succession of popes from Peter all the way to the present day where we have uh, Pope Francis. Yeah, that's and right. He is the, the, the voice uh, of, of the, the, the vicar of Christ. He is the, the speaker uh, uh, for God mm. on matters of faith and morals. Now, they, the Roman Catholic Church does admit that there have been really messed up popes in the past, and there have been evils done, yeah, and there right. have been horrible <laughs> things done. And Protestants are quick to point out, see, he can't be infallible. Look at how horrible he is as a human being. And the Catholics, they, they say, listen, we never said that the pope yeah. was a perfect human being. We just said when he's speaking about faith, morals, uh, mm-hmm. faith and morals— that that, mm-hmm. that is infallible. Yeah, his word. Not his mm-hmm. actions. So that's, again, as Christians, we, we have to be careful not to uh, make them believe something they don't believe. Right, yeah. Or to put words into their mouth. Yeah, because they they're not saying the Pope is perfect. No, they're yeah. not saying he's perfect. They're just saying when he speaks on faith and morals that it's infallible. Mm-hmm. So that's an important distinction, right? Because yeah, they're not even saying everything that he says is perfect either. Because that's the thing, like mm-hmm. uh, like he can he can still be like they believe he's still full of sin, just like we are. Yep. So there's still things that the Pope will do that is wrong. But but it, when he's talking on scripture and faith and teachings and morals, that's the that's part infallible. Infallible he cannot err on that because yeah. of this office that God has given mm-hmm. him. That's exactly it. So we want to look at okay, where do they get this idea that Peter's the supreme apostle? Yeah, right. And did Jesus give him certain power, certain authority, certain position that he didn't give anyone else? Mm. Because that is kind of the crux yeah. of the argument, yeah, right? That's right? If Peter wasn't this person, then successors of him um, don't really matter. Now, why they believe that it's a successor of Peter is because church history tells us Peter moved to Rome and kind of headed up the church there. Yeah. And right. so so again, this is the Roman Catholic Church. So they looked this is my interpretation. They looked to the leader of who was there trying to make a power play to say we're the head of the universal church. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of this again and you need to study church history, but there were popes after Peter who didn't know they were popes. Yeah. And it right. wasn't until later in church history that they looked back and said, "Oh, all of these guys were actually this position." And so we have to ask, okay, why do they want Peter? Well, because he was in Rome, mm-hmm. and this is the Roman authority power play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, did Jesus actually give him certain power or certain position uh, bigger, better than the other disciples, the other apostles? Yeah, that's the question. Yep. So that's what we want to look at. Now, <clears throat> as we get into this very 
very important little tidbit. Peter, as we all know him, his name's not Peter. That's right. Right? Tyler, what's his real name? It is Cephas. No! Well... Tricked ya! Was. <laughs> is that what you're going after? <laughs> no. His real name... Because this... And this is where... This sure. Is, this is so... It gets so tricky here. Oh, I know sorry, what you're doing I'm sorry now. I had to trick you. I know what you're doing now. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking no, about? Okay. His name isn't Cephas. His name isn't Peter. His name is Simon. Yeah. Okay? That's his real name. Mm-hmm. Simon. What's with Peter? What's with Cephas? Where's all this come from, right? Or even si- Simon Bar-Jonah. What's Bar-Jonah, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Well, Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonah. So his dad's yeah. so Peter, the son of Jonah, or Simon, the son of Jonah, okay? Andrew, the son of Jonah. Yes. He's similar. Okay. So Simon is a fisherman in Galilee, right? And Jesus calls him. And then there's this really interesting verse in John 1, 42. You want to read that for us? Yeah. John 1, 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Okay, so this is fascinating. Yep. Jesus gives Simon, son of John, son of Jonah, a nickname, Cephas, and then John tells us mm-hmm. in parentheses, which is translated Peter. Yeah. Okay, well, what, what is this nickname, right? Cephas, Peter, what does it mean? It means rock. Yes. So, right. and, and there's speculation on why Jesus gave him this name, right? Was it because, so it's like, it's like giving him the name Rocky, yeah. Right. Or pebbles. It's that kind of a thing. <laughs> and so you wonder, yeah. like, was he really gruff and like this actually fit his personality? Yeah. Like, what's the point of this? There's got to be some significance, obviously. So. Yeah. Or was he like really timid and quiet? And so it's like a, a ironic nickname. Like when, <laughs> like when there's like a like six foot ten guy and you nickname him Tiny. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I don't yeah, know. You're, just, you're a rock. So, you, I mean, you don't really talk. You don't do much. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows why he was given this name? Right. But he was given this name. So Cephas is the name for rock or rocky in Aramaic, which is the language that they spoke. Mm-hmm. Peter is the word for rock in Greek. Okay? And so the New Testament was written in Greek. There's a few phrases like this one, Cephas, or in Mark, there's actually whole phrases that are in Aramaic, but it originally was written in Greek. So we know him as Peter because we read the Greek New Testament and he's called Petros. Yeah, that's right. But his real name's Simon and his nickname is Cephas in Aramaic and his nickname in Greek is Peter or Petros. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Peter's not even go. his real name. Simon's his real name. Peter is the nickname, and it means rock. Okay. That's important for this whole good discussion. Yeah. yeah go. Good. All right. So here is where the Roman Catholic Church gets their idea that the Pope is a legitimate uh, office. It comes from the book of uh, Matthew, and it's Matthew 16. Uh, where do we want to start here? 13 through 20, I there think, would be good. All right. All right. So you want to start in uh, Matthew 16, 13 through 20? Do you yes. want to read that, Tyler? Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, it's now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but, uh, sorry, there we go. Uh, yeah, but still others, Jeremiah and w- or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in, there, in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosened in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should not that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so this is the passage. Yeah, that's it. This is where the idea of the Pope comes from. So let's let's dive into it a little bit, all right? Um Catholics believe that what Jesus is doing here is he's saying that you are Peter and on you, Peter the rock, mm-hmm. I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it and I'm giving to you the keys and whatever you, Peter, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Yeah, and, and that's what the Catholic teaching is on this. Yes, idea. that Jesus is saying Peter's the rock on which the church will be built. Right. Therefore, any successor of Peter is this rock, is, yeah. this, is this position, has this authority, has the keys, mm-hmm. right? So that's the Roman Catholic position. I have a few quotes here uh, from, um, from uh, Catholic sources. Let me read this to you. This is from newadvent.org. They say, by the word rock, the Savior cannot have meant himself, but only Peter, as is so much more apparent in Aramaic, uh, in which the same word kipha is used for Peter and mm. rock. His statement then admits of but one explanation, namely that he wishes to make Peter the head of the whole community of those who believed in him as the true Messiah, that through this foundation, Peter, the kingdom of Christ would be unconquerable, that the spiritual guidance of the faithful was placed in the hands of Peter mm. as the special representative of Christ. Yeah. So that's the Catholic view on this. Um, okay. <laughs> what what else do they got? What other arguments are there? Yeah, well, I mean, with that, we can see just, I mean, because that's the thing. They're focused on uh, the exact wording of the text, too, and saying mm-hmm. that uh, Peter is the rock here, yes. right? Well, and, and, with, and before, yes, and before we go into, like, refuting what yeah. this is saying, I did want to go back and read this other passage, because they yes. also point to one other place to say, see, Jesus is doing something really significant with Peter. And that is uh, from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Now, let me set the stage here. What's going on here is um, Jesus has risen from the dead. Peter is out fishing with his other disciples. And um, Jesus comes to the beach, and he's making breakfast on the beach, yeah. and then he uh, calls them in. And Peter sees that it's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He swims to shore, right, leaving the boat to be brought in by his other friends. And uh, this is the account that happens. So this is in John 21, 15 through 17. It says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? Mm. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeah. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. All right, so Catholics will say that this is another place where Jesus has given him the authority because tend can also mean rule over. 
So he didn't give it to the other disciples. He he only gave it to Jesus. Right, and that's the argument that they're saying here. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's further clarification. They're saying, look, see, he's appointing him specifically to tend the sheep. It's not a general statement. That's kind of the argument that they're going yes. for. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. He's setting him apart as a distinct authority over the other disciples. So you've got, on you, Peter, the rock, I'll build my church, and you rule over my lambs, Peter. See, he's this yeah, special position. Right. Okay. Now, one thing I think is interesting to note is that nowhere in either of these passages does it say, you, Peter, will be the final authority when it comes to faith and morals. Yeah, about scripture. Yeah, so it doesn't see that anywhere. So even if what they're saying about these is true, it doesn't say that. Yeah, the infallibility is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's the the other case. It's like you you got to wonder like too like th- there's not really a basis scripturally. I think for the infallible portion. No, uh, I think it's just a, a made up belief to put the pontiff of Rome mm-hmm. in power in, in over other yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. So let's let's get into these. Yeah, okay, go. what's going on with this whole, do you love me, tend my sheep, do you love me, tend my sheep thing? Right. What I think is going on here is that Jesus is reinstating Peter after he royally screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. What else did Peter do three times? So Jesus asking him three times a thing. What's the other thing that Peter did three times? He denied Jesus. Oh, that's right. That's right. He He denied denied that he even knew him three times. Three times, and so so it's interesting because because yeah, when you look at when you're looking at this, uh, it appears as though what's really happening is Jesus is kind of like redeeming him by reminding him. Three times yeah. of what he did by do saying, you really love me? do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> and, and, and then it, it even says at the end of that, he says, um, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, yep. do you love me? Why would he be grieved if he said to him the third time? Yep. Of course, that that's why. It's because he was implying here, hey, I am doing this out of what you did and reminding you, you denied me. But yep. you say that you love me, so tend my sheep. Yep. And it's beautiful because Jesus yeah. is even showing him... Listen, I know you denied me. You know you denied me. Yeah, that's right. I'm asking you three times to remind you of that, but I'm also giving you a role here. I'm not done with you. Yeah, that's right. You said, I'll never deny you. All these other guys might flake out. I won't flake out. And then you denied me three times, just like I said you would. But I'm yeah. still, I still have use for you. The other thing about this that's just beautiful is it says that Jesus made a fire and was cooking breakfast. And then do you notice how it says, so when they'd finished breakfast. So they're sitting around this fire. Where did Peter deny Jesus three times? Mm. Around was, a fire. Yeah, I was going to say. That right? seems per- <laughs> yeah. Around a fire. So even the smell of the smoke is re- reminding Peter of what there, he did yeah. not so long ago. So I don't think this is Jesus giving him a predominant position. No. I think that this is Jesus reinstating him after he royally screwed up. Yeah. And, and you know— I don't see how you could interpret it another way because the thing is you you do read right here he says uh Peter was grieving because he said to him the third time. I think that 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 in particular portion is significant because it because it's emphasizing here hey like like, like he there's something specifically like why would he grieve yeah. about him asking him that a third time and it says grieve yes. not like Oh, I'm annoyed because you keep asking me the same question over and over again. It's yeah. like, no, there's significance here. So. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, the other thing, Tyler, I think, and, and then we, we have to talk about on this rock, I'll build my church. Sure, sure. But the other thing I thought about is um, could we make up a case for another apostle being the preeminent one? Oh, I think you can. I think you could if you wanted yeah. to. And here's here's my here's 
how I would go about it. Sure. Let's just say I'm at the church in Ephesus, and I want the uh, bishop of Ephesus to become the predominant bishop. Okay. So the Apostle John was a church leader in Ephesus, uh, right? And that's yeah. where he trains Polycarp and these other people. Okay. So if I want to make John the predominant, what would I say? I say, listen, guys, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, yeah. Preeminent. Secondly, Jesus entrusted his mom to John, not to Peter, yeah. <laughs> and not to Thomas. Yeah, he entrusted yeah. the Holy Mother to John, yeah. my bishop in Ephesus, who also, by the way, is the one whom Jesus loves. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, you remember when Jesus told Peter that when you're old, you were going to be stretched out, and he was telling him the manner in which he was going to die, crucifixion. Yeah, that's right. Peter points at John, and he says, what about him? What's he got to go through? And what did Jesus say? He said, what is it if I want him to live until I come back? Yeah. You see, John is the preeminent uh, office of all the apostles because he's the one whom Jesus loved. He's the one whom was entrusted with taking care of the Holy Mother, and he even was was set apart in his death. You drive a good argument here. See what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you could make this <clears throat> idea up for whoever you, you wanted. You can fit any of them, yeah. And I think why they fit Peter into this peg is because historically he was the one who was in Rome. But I don't think it's taught in Scripture that he's a preeminent uh, apostle, especially yeah. from this passage about tend my lambs, and I, I really think I think they would have done this with any any of the apostles who would have gone to Rome instead. Like, I think so, you got to think about it. I it just because so I, I think it's just because it was a power thing. It was he, a power thing, and Alexandria is a huge city, and Rome's oh, a yeah. huge city. It's interesting to think about that. Why did the huge cities decide that they were the ones because in they charge? had power? Yeah, yeah, and not a small. Yeah. You know, why wasn't it Antioch where the church <laughs> yeah. really sprung up and they were first called Christians? Why wasn't it Jerusalem? I mean, the other thing is this, Tyler. Peter's not even the head of the church in Jerusalem. Mm. Who who takes over as head of the church in Jerusalem? Jesus' brother, James. It's it's not Peter. Yeah. Well, okay, you'd think if Peter's the head of the church, he'd take over. He doesn't. Yeah, that's right. You would think so. Yeah. You get that's into, even in Acts 15, you remember how there was this uproar around the world about what Christians have to follow of the, of the Mosaic Law. What Jewish rules do they have to follow? What laws do they need to be circumcised? What about the Sabbath? What about new moon festivals? Oh, yeah. And and Paul even was struggling with, yeah, what what is the deal with all of this? So what happened? Barnabas and Paul go back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And a whole, all the leaders come in. James is there. John's there. Peter's there. And they have what's called uh, the Jerusalem Council yeah. in Acts 15. And they ask, what do we, what, what's the rule with this? We think the gospel is this. Are we right? And Peter, James, and John tell Barnabas and Paul, you're right. They give them the right hand of fellowship. Keep going out and preaching that. You've got it. You've had it all along. Well, what do we have to tell them they have to follow rule-wise uh, from the Mosaic Law? Exactly. That's, a, yeah. Right? And who is it that speaks up and makes the decision on what has to be followed? Is it Peter? Mm. No, it's not. It's James, Jesus' yeah. brother, and that's a big deal. That's something to yeah. Yeah. So, it's it, like, so P, P, at the very first church council, Peter's not even the guy who decides on yeah. what doctrine's supposed to be taught. Right. So, why would you think that the guy who you know is supposed to be the head of the church, right, the, the rock or whatever, of the God, the keys to the kingdom? Yeah, Tyler. and he's not the one who decides 
the ultimate like scripture falling in the, like like he's not the one making these decisions. It doesn't make a lot no. of sense, does it? No. See, now again, if you were in Jerusalem and it hadn't been ransacked by Rome in 70 AD and you wanted to make the case for James being the yeah, right. it, I mean, you'd have a better case. Like, he's the brother of Christ. He's, he's the, the brother, yeah, he's, he's the got... heir apparent to the Mosaic throne or to the to the Davidic throne because he's literally related to the yeah. king. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. He also made the decision at the Jerusalem council. He do you see, it would be easy to make any of these guys, you can make arguments for all of them if you're trying to push that idea. Yes. So I don't think that Peter alone is set apart in any way, shape, or fashion that you couldn't make an argument John being set apart oh, like yeah. that or you, James being set apart You can do that for any like of them. That. That's the case. You really so, can. Yeah, it just, it, it's not that strong in saying... I mean, in the arguments that they're using, it seems just very circumstantial. It does. That's what I would it say. Seem, that's a good word. It does seem very circumstantial. <laughs> yeah. Power, power play. Because yeah, that's the thing. Like, y- yes, I think by looking at it, in a lot of ways, you can interpret it that way in thinking I- initially. It, you well, can make it fit. That's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. You can make it fit. Just like you made it fit with, uh, with, John. with John just now. Sure, you can make it fit. But there's no scriptural basis for that. But no. when, you, when you look at it, there's nothing. It's kind of like there's no direct wording that says uh, like initially initially i should say because there is which we'll get into but there's no direct wording in scripture that says uh that that's not the case yep exactly. so so the, they're they're making they're creating a case around just circumstantial pieces yep and i i think it's clear and, and like like we said like we're getting into it more but it, clearly you can make that case for any of them you can and so let's let's get into the meat of the issue here yes the big passage matthew 16 13 through 20 mm-hmm. in Caesarea philippi did jesus Jesus set Peter apart and say, upon you, the rock, Peter, I will build my church. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. And here's why. Um, the whole crux of the argument depends on who or what is upon this rock, I will build my church. That's right. Right? So who is this rock upon which the church will be built? If it is Peter, then the Roman Catholic Church has a point in saying that there's a pope and there's a successor uh, to sure. Peter and Francis is the pope currently. But if it's not true that he's the rock, then the whole papacy is false. Yes. Because it hasn't ever gotten started. It hasn't ever had any foundation. Yeah, that's right. And then it's circumstantial, just like we talked about. Then yep. that would be the only case. Yep. So here so. we go. Deep dive. I know this is nerdy, but I like nerdy. It's all and right. <laughs> I know that this is like, okay, so let's get We're into, into the it. Greek. In the Greek New Testament, when mm. Jesus says, you are Peter, right? Uh, you are Peter. Uh, this is in verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter. The word for Peter, remember, which is a nickname. Mm-hmm. His real name Simon. His nickname is Peter. This word for Peter is the word Petros. Mm-hmm which is the masculine form of the word Petra for rock. Yes. Because he's a guy. So he's a Petros. That's right. Okay? You are Petros. And then he says, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. He uses the feminine. Which is talking separate. Yeah. Well, that's the question. If, if he was referring to Peter, wouldn't he use the masculine form again? Yeah. He doesn't. He says, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. It'd be like saying, you are a waiter, and upon this waitress, I'm going to build my restaurant. Yeah. Does that really refer to the waiter? No, no, no. I don't think I, so. I, I, I think I think what really is happening here, you're seeing it's it, the, 
the term he's specifically talking about two different things here because it, you see like obviously Peter being the masculine form of rock you would see him come in and say it again well, like like it's like basically he would have to be saying he like he's not saying you are Peter and on you I'm going to build my church. No, that's not what's happening. And, here. and that saying, isn't what he says. No, it's not. That, that's right. Because why why wouldn't he just repeat and say Peter again? That's the other yeah. thing. Yeah. Why would why he, wouldn't say, he say you are Peter and upon this Petros I will build my? Yeah. Why wouldn't he just say upon you Peter I will build my church? Yeah. Or just say it once. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point because. I mean, yeah, I know that sometimes, obviously, Jesus repeats things that are important, but yeah. that's not what's going on here. So what is Jesus yeah. doing here? Why does he say it like that's this? That's a question. Mm-hmm. I think Jesus is making a play on words. Yeah, yeah. He's saying, okay, because what what just happened? He said, who do people say I am? Well, some say Elijah, some say a prophet, blah, blah, blah. Who do you think I am? Mm-hmm. And Peter speaks up, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. You're the Messiah, right? You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, you're blessed because God revealed this to you, and and you are rocky, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah, your nickname. Yeah, yeah. You're rocky, and upon, or you could translate it, but upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Because the conjunction there, it can be translated as but, or and. Yes. So it doesn't mean mm-hmm. and, it can mean contrast, but upon this rock. Yeah, so what's yeah. this rock referring to? I would say it's the statement that he made. You yeah. are you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and, and that to me seems clear. Because mm-hmm. when you're looking at it again, and I, I think it, it's exactly as you said, Robbie. It's a play on words because what we see here happening is that Jesus is <laughs> talking to the disciples. He's asking them, like them, who do you? Well, first he goes up to Peter afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he says, "Who do you say I am?" Mm-hmm. He says again, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God," which yep. is then followed by, "Blessed are you," because that didn't reveal to you. Like flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So it's like saying, you being the rock, I'm going to put my foundation on this foundation. The foundation being, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The statement, the, the statement, foundation. the foundation. Yeah. On that I will build my church. But he's playing on the name because Peter. In the foundation, it's the same thing, yeah. And I think that that's great, and uh, because you're seeing like what Jesus is doing here, he's he's playing on words, and he's being like, "Yes, this is this is what it's all about, right?" And that's significant. It is, and that's what that's what Jesus is saying. I think he's referring to the statement he made, the truth of what Peter had just said, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, and that is going to be the stone or the rock upon which the church is built. Yeah, and then um, on top of that, Robbie, there's there's even a, another passage that we can look to, right, that breaks us down even further. Talking well, there's about, a lot of passages. Yeah, that, yeah there's a oh, ton of course, about of this. And so we want to get into talking about the feminine word Petra, which also was an 80s yes. uh, rock band mm-hmm. that was a Christian <laughs> oh, band yeah, that right. my friend Trevor really loves. Um, but the feminine <laughs> word Petra is only used, in, it's used in four places in scripture, all right? The first place is here in Matthew 16, 18, when he says, on this Petra, I will build my church. Another place is Matthew 27, mm-hmm. 60, and it says, and laid it in his new his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. This is when Joseph of Arimathea buries Jesus. So the yes. rock, hewn out of the rock, is a feminine word. And, and it's kind of like, you know, like like we call ships her. We, we personify oh, yeah, right, a ship right. with a feminine, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.4 uses the word Petra in the feminine. And this is what it says. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock 
was Christ. This is talking about in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Paul says the Petra was Christ. Mm-hmm. That's significant. What does Peter say the Petra is? Well, 1 Peter 2, 8. Peter says, speaking of Jesus, says that he is a stone of stumbling and a rock, Petra, of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Yeah. Peter says Jesus is the Petra. So, so the guy who is supposed to be the Petra, the Petra is saying that Jesus, Jesus is, is, the, is the Petra. Paul yeah. says Jesus was the rock. And he says that in his own writings in 1 Peter 2.8. Yes. Like that's, that's a big deal, yes. right? In the Old Testament, God is called the rock mm-hmm. and a strong fortress, right? All uh, what Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. Yeah. I mean, we see all over the place this idea, not that Peter's the rock, but that Jesus is the rock. Mm. So this is, uh, I think, an interesting, <laughs> an interesting uh, statement. So I believe that the Petra is the statement that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yeah. That is what the church is going to be built upon, and the gates of Hades can't come against it, right? Mm. Now, there is a, a second portion to this that I do think is important. You remember, right after he says, uh, you're Peter, but upon this Petra, I'm going to build my church, Jesus says something else kind of interesting. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Mm. So I looked this up in the Greek, and in Greek, um, when we see the word you in English, you know how we use word you, and I could say right. you, Tyler, like meaning singular, just you. Yeah, of course. But then I could also say to a crowd of people, you all saw, right, or you saw yeah. the preaching on yeah, Sunday. Yeah, people will say that all the time when they, they're being general and they say like you when you, they're talking to— You, it can to, be plural. Yeah, yeah right, It can right. be multiple people, or you can also be singular. Sure. Well, in Greek, they're very specific. And you, they always tell you whether it's a singular or whether it's a plural. Yeah, I wish English helpful. was like that. Yeah. I wish English was like that, yeah. <laughs> it would help us out a lot. Right, yeah. So here, where he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth, and whatever you loose mm-hmm. on earth, the you here is singular. Yeah. He's saying right. it just to Peter. You, specifically singular, Peter, whatever you bind on earth, whatever you, Peter, loose in heaven. So is that an argument that Peter is distinct and he's set apart from the other because he's been given the keys to loose and to bind? Mm. It's, it is kind of an interesting argument, isn't it? It is, it is. And if this was the only passage we had that says this, it would be very significant. Absolutely it would. Because, because then if you're looking at just that, then it's like, okay, well, maybe there is a decent case that that could could have happened, right? Yeah, that he's significant. He's the only yeah. one being given this privilege. However, there's another passage that says the exact same words, That's and right. I want to read that. So this was Matthew 16, 19. If you go over just two chapters to Matthew 18, verse 18, Jesus says the same thing, but this time he's talking to a group of his disciples. Let me read to you what he says. Matthew 18, 18. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Doesn't that sound exactly the same? It does. It does in English. Right. But there's a distinction. The you in this passage of Matthew 18, 18 is plural, not singular. 
Wow, interesting. So <laughs> yeah. you think that maybe if he's using it plural, the exact same exact phrase, same phrase, like word for word too. Actually, yeah, like like it is identical. If he's using that exact wording, then that would probably lead you to think that it wasn't just about Peter. Exactly. Yeah, and, it's and not I just for Peter. He's and, giving this authority yeah, to yeah all of his disciples, and I think which there's a strong case Peter. about that. It does. Yeah. It does include Peter. And, and so the so, so the Matthew 16, right. 19 passage isn't a lie. Peter had that authority, but then we also see that the other disciples had that authority. Yes, yes. And so then that leads you to believe, okay, well, maybe he was talking about the statement that Peter was saying. I think so. Yeah. Because it's not it's not upon Peter the rock he'll build his church, because he also gives the keys to the kingdom to mm-hmm. the disciples two chapters later. Yeah, it, it is on the statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. That's, that's what I think. The that's rock is. the rock. Mm-hmm. That's what I agree with too. Think about the other um, passages where Jesus. Remember when Jesus says, "A, a wise man builds his house upon the rock. rock." Yeah. And when the storm comes, he can stand. Yes, that's right. Right. And the stupid man builds his house <laughs> upon sand. Yeah. Right. So what's the rock? Well, yeah, it have it would have is to be Peter. This. Is he saying that you need to build your house upon Peter? No, no, no. he's not. Because that's the thing. Just think about the gospel. That that that's the whole idea about it. What what is the key to the gospel? Like, what is the key to salvation? Right. Yep. It's the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God, the one yep. true Son of God, and that He died for your sins. Right. Yep. And that 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 is the rock. Yep. I mean. All throughout the New Testament, like all throughout Scripture, we see uh, that that's what the disciples believe. That's yes. what every like that's that is salvation. And so, why would why would that not be the rock? Is the question. And so, yeah, I don't really, think it's Peter at all. There's a contrast because yeah. they're not even in the same form. One, his name Petros is masculine. Then Jesus refers to the Petra that the church is built on, the feminine. Other places where the feminine is used, mm-hmm. Paul says it's Jesus. Peter himself says the Petra is Jesus. He gives the same privilege of loosing and binding to oh, yeah. other disciples, yeah. not just to Peter. Yeah, so I don't think Peter's the rock that the church is built on. I think that the Roman it's Catholic the Church is wrong. That's what that's what it's built on. That Jesus yeah. is the Christ. Yep. I want to read another passage, and again, I think it's significant because this comes from Peter. Right. right? Yeah. So yeah, l- right. let me read First Peter two four through nine. All right. Peter says, "And coming to him as to a living stone, which has mm. been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood." to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Hmm. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, and then he quotes the Old Testament, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see how many times he talks about stone, cornerstone, stumbling stone? Yeah, and it's all about Jesus. It is. It's not about him. That's a big deal. And that's that's coming from supposedly the rock, right? Supposed rock, right? Like that's that's where we're hearing it from. (laughs) He admits he's not the rock. Jesus is the rock. Yeah, that's not Peter's crazy. And and then 
even even further, I, I have an, a, a passage from Peter too. Yeah. Uh, this is First uh, Peter five verses one and two. Uh, so he, he says, "So I exhort the elders among you, as a fo- as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game." But eagerly. And, and the significance here is Peter, again, is saying in, in the first verse of this passage, he's saying, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, fellow. he's saying fellow elder, mm. meaning he's putting himself at the same level as other elders. <laughs> and, and this happened after yeah. what, what we were reading earlier when Jesus told him that he was the rock. Yeah. So, so he is aware. Oh, this is after Jesus is long gone. This is years supposedly later when he so, writes. Yeah, I'm sorry, and Peter. I should have said supposedly when yeah. they, they were they're arguing yeah. that he claimed that Peter was the rock. Yeah. Uh, but this this passage specifically, he's not saying, "Oh, I'm set apart from everyone else." That's not how he's talking about himself. He says, "As a fellow elder." Yeah. Right. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Right. So and it so seems that's, like if he was the Pope, he didn't know it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and so, God inspired him through the Holy Spirit to write that he's not. Yeah. But he is. I don't think. And so. actually, I think it's and it's crazy. Like, like, obviously, I think it is God inspired that he he wrote those specific words in that passage yeah. because it provides further evidence that he's not this crazy authority. Yeah. I, I did. Yes. No, I, yeah. I agree. I think there's so much evidence against it. Another thing would be, um, who, who wrote most of the new Testament? Now this is an interesting question. Mm. Who wrote the most books in, that we have in the new Testament? Paul. Well, Paul easy, but, but who wrote the most words we have in the new Testament? Luke. Uh, yeah. Cause he wrote Luke and acts. That's right. But either way you count it, Peter didn't. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. So that's important. So, so you're you're the head. You're the guy. He doesn't write. He he writes two two letters in the New Testament, yeah, and he right. he influenced and it, it, Mark was his account of the the gospel. Yeah. Okay. That's so right. We, we got Mark and First and Second Peter from Peter. He doesn't write the majority of the New Testament in number of books or in length of books. Uh, he doesn't make the decisions at the Jerusalem Council for the doctrine for the universal mm, church. That's Jesus true. brothers James does. Paul there says in Galatians, uh, it's in Galatians. Um, oh, where is that? Galatians two, I think, where he says that that Peter was an apostle to the Jews, but I have yes, been uh, right. given to be an apostle of the Gentiles. So Peter's not even stated to be over the universal church. He's an no. apostle to the Jews, to take the gospel to the Jews. Um, you also see <clears throat> um, that Peter makes a huge mistake in Galatians 2. Remember, mm, Peter yeah. comes to Antioch after Barnabas and Paul had been there, and they're called Christians, and there's a huge explosion going on up there. And he comes, and Paul points out he was That's fine right. eating with Gentiles before the important Jewish people from Jerusalem came up. But when they came up, he stopped eating with the Gentiles and reverted back to his Judaism and the law. Yeah, that's right. And then right. Peter, and then Paul says, I rebuked him to his face. He's like, I called him a hypocrite. I said, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Now again, um, the Catholic idea of this would be, well, listen, the, the, the Pope isn't perfect, but when he speaks on mor- morality and faith, he is. Well, Paul is rebuking him for how he was living morally. So yeah. that, that's a slippery slope. It seems convenient to say, well, that doesn't count. So whenever they sin or screw up, it's not speaking for God. And whenever it doesn't make a but lot of sense. But the action he was taking was 
out of God's word. That's yes. what, well, that's that's kind of what was happening in that scenario. It was out of God's word, and this is what's interesting, Tyler. Who had the vision of the sheet coming down and God telling him all animals are clean? Mm. Peter. And then he doesn't keep eating with the Gentiles because of peer pressure. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's, uh, that's a little bit of a mess, right? So and it just, all, all of this to say, I don't yeah. think Peter is the head of the church in the way the Roman Catholic Church is trying. Now, is Peter significant? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, And, and that's the thing you got to understand. It's like, uh, like w- what we're arguing here is just the fact that he's not the, the pope, right? He's yeah. not the infallible pope uh, that has been passed on over time through tradition. We don't think that that works. But the thing is, is uh, Peter himself, like he's a significant biblical figure and he did Big a time. lot of great work for the Lord. Yep. He was, so, he was, he did. He, and he died a martyr's oh, death. Yeah. So he's not insignificant. No, but not is many. he yeah. the Pope? No. no. No, no, no. So if Peter wasn't given this position, then the whole idea of the Roman Catholic Pope fails. Yeah. And I think we've demonstrated from Scripture that Peter didn't have this position given to him. Therefore, right. he's not. He even says in that passage in um, uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9, that we are a royal priesthood. Yeah. We yeah. are a chosen you, you race. You are absolutely right? right. He does say that. It's yeah. the priesthood of believers, not a hierarchy. Yeah, and so I, and I think that that being said, like uh, with this is evidence based in scripture for the argument that we're making here. Yep. Uh, we we shouldn't live in fear of the pope. We we shouldn't no. uh, we shouldn't be observing his word as scripture as infallible because because it, he, it's not it's not infallible. It's no. not it, uh, and that that's the thing. We we have solid evidence based in scripture. I think that that contradicts what the Roman Catholic Church has taught yes. for a long time. And the Catholic Church has to this is what's interesting about it is he speaks on God's behalf and he's infallible mm-hmm. and yet they have to establish the office based on God's word. They do. Therefore yeah. God's word has to undergird the papacy. It does. Or it fails. But they would say no, the pope and what he says is on the same level with infallibility it's, as it's contradictory. the Bible. Yeah. So but but they have to use scripture to to um, build that case, and if we can show and demonstrate from yeah. scripture that that's not the case, then the whole idea of the Roman Catholic Pope fails. And this is what I think we have, uh, and that was the rallying cry of the reformers: sola scriptura, scripture alone is the authority, yeah. not the Pope, not tradition. Scripture alone, and I think scripture speaks clearly. I want to read one more verse: First Corinthians three eleven. Paul says, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Peter's right. not the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And I think that Peter would be very upset if he knew what has happened in his oh, name. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. And people who want power have really... Um, skewed what God's word has said yeah, in order yeah. to gain power. Uh, there's also not even a clear line of succession to the popes. If you do church history, there was a point in time where there were four popes. <laughs> these people elected this yeah. one, but these people voted this one in. And these people, well, who's the successor? Who's the one for? You know, who's yeah, speaking it's, for uh, God? How can you tell? Yeah, yeah. Just, it just it it becomes a mess and a power play and political. And so I don't think that this is how we are supposed to be. Even mm. think about this. Even when Paul gives us instructions on how to do uh, church structure in First yeah. Timothy and in Titus, he doesn't say you follow the supremacy of the one head bishop of the world of the universal church. He says, no, yeah. each congregation, you get some elders and they should be qualified like this. So it seems like there's autonomy, not right, hierarchy. Right. And well, 
And well, the thing is too, and I mean, and we'll, we'll get into this further too. And as we go on in the series, but, um, uh, just particularly even about the Pope today, like things that he's come out and said that, that just like, you see, like, like it can't be in, uh, like basically just recently the Pope made statements about, I, I don't know how many of you knew about this, about uh coronavirus mm. uh, with how people can't go to mass. He, he basically said like, oh, yeah, for the time being, what you can do, you can confess your sins on your own time, personally, to mm-hmm. the Lord. You don't have to uh, go, go through, through confession a yeah. in a priest. And uh, like I said, we'll get more into that in future episodes. But the point is, is like, he's going back and like, like it just, you see that there's some hypocrisy here. Because the thing is, you don't need to go through a priest or some sort of a pope or higher power because Christ is the the stone right? He yeah. is the rock. He's the great high priest. He is the great high priest. He's we, the we torn see that all throughout veil. Hebrews, we can yeah. go directly to God. No, I agree. And yeah, yeah, so it's so like all this idea of confession through the church. We don't need it. And you so don't. It's need interesting it. that the Pope's statements actually are something as Protestants we've been saying all along. Like, yeah, we don't need that. And that's we what can I go mean. Directly to that's God. why I bring that up, Robbie. It's because yeah. you see, like today, like like yeah, like you don't need. The Pope. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't need to go through this hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It's it's you and Christ. That's that's what it's always been about. That's yeah. the rock that the church was built upon. Yep. One last thing I did want to mention, I just thought of, in, in the argument for Peter being the rock in that Catholic right. article I read, they, they did say something interesting, right? Let me read it to you again, and let's mm-hmm. see if we can catch this. By the word rock, the Savior cannot have meant himself, but only Peter— as is so much more apparent in Aramaic, in which the word kipha is used for Peter and rock. Mm. The New Testament wasn't written in Aramaic. It was written in Greek. That is correct. So what this guy's trying to say is that, listen, they were probably speaking Aramaic, which I think is probably true. Sure, yeah. And if we translate the Greek into Aramaic, then we would see that there's not a distinction between Petros masculine and mm. petra feminine and it would you would be able to see that it says here's the problem with that if god is real and he divinely inspired scripture he divinely inspired scripture to be written in greek where the distinction could be made yeah. so this guy's saying That's right. he's he's undermining inspiration of scripture in order to make his case for the pope yeah. that is a dangerous game to yeah, play that is god knew mm. what he wanted to say and he inspired Matthew to write Petros, Petra. And, and that's the thing. I mean, clearly we even have it, though. Like, even if, let's just say that is the case, Robbie, mm-hmm. right? We even have the passages where Peter, like we just read a minute ago, sure. where he said, he comes out and says, no, the rock is Christ. He says that himself. Yep. It's, and, and so, like, like, there's so much against the idea yeah. here, basically, that Peter was the rock. And I think it's evident through scripture. Yep. Yeah. I think I think you were right when you said that it seems really suspect and circumstantial that they tried to elect it the guy who was the head in their yeah. town. Well, because it, we it could is. do it for John. It we is. could do it for anybody else. There's no hard evidence, I think, on anything we've looked at today that Peter could be the rock. No. And all the doctrine taught in the New Testament teaches this idea of the local church, the universal church being a priesthood of believers. Right. We don't need a hierarchy of, of high priests or anything like that anymore because why? Paul says because we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Yeah. Right? And Jesus is our mediator, not Peter. Oh, right. Jesus yeah. sits at the right hand of God and makes petitions on our behalf, not Peter. Yeah, And so we don't need to go through the Roman Catholic Church to access God. We, mm. because of Jesus, through Jesus, 
can access God. Yeah, no man so comes true. to the Father except through me, <laughs> yeah. not through Peter. So I don't believe that the Pope is an actual office that God has initiated. I believe that, that the papacy is a man-made thing. Yeah. Um, and motives behind it and all of that can, we can speculate on and we can do research on. But I think biblically, the, the papacy is not uh, doctrinally true. And it's not real. And as a Protestant, um, I don't have to follow what the Pope says or the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, you don't. And, and because we can see in Scripture that that's not the case. There, there should not it be an office of a Pope. Yep. So, so we've looked at their two main arguments. I think we've shown yes. that they're not real or true, that they don't make sense, and they definitely don't measure up with the rest of Scripture. They don't measure up with church history and what Peter did. He wasn't the head of the church in Jerusalem. He didn't right. make doctrinal decisions. He didn't write a lot of the New Testament, right? That's There's true. There's a lot against him, and he calls Jesus the rock, Jesus the cornerstone. I don't think that the papacy is a real office. I think it's man-made. Yeah, I would say so. so. Now listen, when you're sharing this with your Catholic friends, don't be a <laughs> oh, jerk right, about right, it, right. right? We don't want to yeah. rub it in their face. We want to help people see the truth, and we've got to go to God's Word. If God inspired this Bible, it's probably an important message that we need to listen to. Yes, and so the the, the format of uh, this particular episode, we, it, this idea, what we wanted to do was to equip our followers like, like Protestants to be aware of the arguments mm-hmm. that the Catholic Church is making, but this is this is not exactly an apologetic tactic yeah. uh, for going about doing this with someone. So so just be loving, be uh, gracious, be. Um, uh, but w- the point is, we want you to be mindful of Scripture yes. and why we don't have to live in fear or of uh, respect of the office of the Pope. Yep. So we should respect what Scripture says because it's yes. inspired, and that the testimony it leaves about Jesus, especially. Oh yeah, so. right. So. Well, hey, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. We hope that this is helpful to you. We yeah, have had right. a ton of people ask us to do stuff on Catholicism, so mm-hmm. here we go. Um, but thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with another distinction between the Roman Catholic theology and Protestant theology. Yes, and uh, thank you again so much, too, for uh, just following along with us uh, uh, over the past couple of years. We, we yeah. just passed two years recently, which yeah, is exciting. Yeah, that's crazy. It's been two years already. And so Yeah, and so just super thankful for you guys. And obviously, um, it's because of you guys, the fo- followers and listeners and YouTubers now, uh, that we did this topic because we, mm-hmm. we, we didn't think of this on our own. I mean, we, we had a lot of people approaching us yes, uh, with this idea, us. and so... Um, uh, please keep if you have any ideas or questions or a- anything you want us to address on the podcast yeah. um, we would love to hear from you so please go ahead and follow us on our social media platforms um, and then you can send us a message that way and we would love to uh, just kind of hear what you want to learn more about and yep. provide you with the resources and tools and listen to I've got a lot of requests about dinosaurs in the Bible so All right. <laughs> please don't, don't send that to us we've already okay we've got we've got enough yeah, of that right. Um, right. Yes, we hear you. We'll eventually get to we that. We hear you. Yeah. I think I don't think it's that important. But listen, like we get it. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to That's dinosaurs funny. in the Bible someday. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, All thank right. you so much again for joining us today on Christ Culture and Coffee, and we will see you again next week as we continue in this series on Catholicism. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.